Well, hello, welcome. How are y'all doing? I'm Jason Solomon. I serve here at the church. We've never met. Hello, greetings, salutations. Hello to East uh, and also online as well as our downtown and television audience. We're really glad that you're joining us today. Uh, are you really comfortable in your chairs? Really, I want you to feel really comfortable. Sink in deeper. Mm. Now, please stand. Uh, you knew I was going to do that. Uh, if, actually, seriously, I'm going to ask you to stand. <laughs> Uh, we're going to go old school, and we're going to in our we're studying the book of James, and so we're going to kick it off by reading uh, today's passage, and then we will unpack it together. And the words will be on the screen. If you have your Bibles, you certainly can bring it out. Uh, I'm going to read from the Word here, uh, James two, starting at verse fourteen. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And this is the word of the Lord. And you may be seated. Do you want to stand up again? No, you're good. Uh, well... To really unpack this, I'm excited to teach today, by the way. This is, this is really uh, something that's on my heart. And before we get started, I want to introduce you to somebody very special in my life. My dog, Phoebe. That's Phoebe. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Phoebe, she's sitting like a frog here. Uh, but she likes to sit on, on vents and stand in front of fans because she runs real hot. And she likes to sleep with Gwen and I at night. Sometimes, yeah, we're empty nesters, so we just have dogs now. So, uh, so the dog will come up and sleep with us sometimes. But she gets hot, and so she usually jumps off the bed and sleeps under the bed. Don't know why, it just is what she does. Uh, but one night, during one of these stormy nights we had several weeks ago, uh, I woke up in the middle of the night, as I often do, because I'm in my 40s, and that's just what you do. Um, and, and she's right up against me. Like, she couldn't be any closer. And... And I'm petting her, and, she, you know, she's not moving. I'm like, Phoebe, you okay? You know, Phoebe. And I'm, I'm shaking her, and she is, she's not moving. And, and my heart sank. It's in the middle of the night. I'm thinking, oh, no, I rode over my dog and killed my dog. Like, I've had that feeling with my baby before, but this is now the dog. I, you know, uh, so I shook her real hard. Finally, she stirs from, like, a real deep sleep. And she's a nervous licker, and she continued to lick my face for the rest of the night, letting me know that she was indeed very much alive. <laughs> and uh, that was obviously a, a heart-pounding moment for me. Well, today in this passage, what we're, the question we're asking is, is our faith dead or alive? 
Uh, and before we kind of begin to repel down this passage, I want to make sure that our rope is anchored to the truth about salvation because this passage can get real confusing for some folks. So in uh, James 2.14, uh, it says this, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? And that's the question. Does faith or works save us? Well, as we begin, I think it's important that we understand the role of faith and works in our salvation because a lot of folks get confused on this. And one of my favorite verses in all of scriptures is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And if you've received the great gift of salvation found in Jesus, you know that it's not about how good of a person you are. It's about how awesome Jesus is. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. It's nine o'clock. You got an extra hour of sleep. I expect fire. I'll, if you give me fire, I'll give you fire. See, Jesus lived, died, and rose again for you and I. This is the heart of salvation. Um, salvation is God's great gift to us, and God gets the glory as we sang. He's the hero of the story. He came to seek and save that which was lost, which I don't know about you. I definitely know about you, but I definitely know about me. That was me. Jesus came, and he saved me. He is the hero of the story. Salvation is not a product of our good works, but our good works are a product of our salvation. Does that make sense? Okay, a true saving faith found in the person and work of Jesus Christ uh, brings life and answers the call to bring life wherever we go. And one of the best ways that we're to love God back with our lives is by loving other people. And Katie gave us a great uh, way to do that today. Now there's reasons why when we become believers, we are immediately snatched up and we go to heaven. Instead, what we do is we accept a call to join Jesus and his mission in the world to seek and save that which was lost, to go and make disciples of all nations, right? So otherwise, that our faith wouldn't be accompanied by works and we would be a lifeless body, a corpse. Basically, we would have a faith that's the equivalent of Weekend at Bernie's, if you've never watched that 80s movie. Faith, though, has a heartbeat. And in James 2.15, uh, we read this. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And that's bolded. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What good is that? That, that question is that. It's kind of like you have a brother or sister, they need something, and Reminds me of the Dumb and Dumber movie, which I also love. Walk by, big gulps, huh, guys? Well, see you later. You know, you just kind of go on your merry way. Uh, but instead, he's saying, if your brother or sister has a need, you don't just say, oh, you're, you look like you're hungry and starving and freezing to death. Well, see you later. You know, that's not, that's not how that works. That's not, that's not true faith. It's one of the evidence of faith. And listen, we can't be everything to everyone, but we can be something for someone. Some of you needed to hear that because you think you're supposed to be everything to everyone. You can't. I've tried. It doesn't work out too well. But you can do something for someone. Faith must be exercised. For faith to be real, it must be put into action. It reminds me of a story of my son. Now, my son uh, has served in the Army, two tours in Afghanistan. He is a he's been a mechanic working on multi-million dollar helicopters, really awesome, mechanically inclined, tough guy. 
But long before he was working on helicopters, he had to conquer this. <laughs> Learning to ride a bike. And I'm, I don't think I asked his permission, but I'll, well, we're going to share this story anyways. He's a grown-up. Um, well, listen, when he was a kid, week after week, day after day, month after month, we would practice riding this bike. By the way, he loved this bike, hence why he painted it gold, by the way. But just came home. You know, kids, when you spray, spray paint, don't do it up against the house or anything like that. Like, out on the lawn, at least. Uh, just a lesson learned. But he had to learn how to conquer his bike. And we, we, we kept practicing and practicing, and he was not getting it. And eventually, you know, I'm, I'm finding myself, I'd say, okay, push the pedals, and he, he'd, he'd go for a little bit, fall down, and get discouraged, and want to give up. Then we'd go back out and do it again. And this was, this is life for quite some time. It was, it was really his mountain to climb. And so one day, I'm determined to get him to learn to ride his bike. So he's riding his bike. I say, put your feet on the pedals. He has his feet on the pedals. I say, okay, my, my hands are over his feet while his feet are on the pedals. And I'm literally running behind him, pushing the pedals for him. And what I could feel was his legs are doing no work. They're just, hang, they're just dangling there. And I'm like, son, unless you learn how to push the pedals yourself, you're never going to learn how to ride a bike. That's where the balance comes in. And, and I kind of thought this was a metaphor for how our whole life would be together. I'm going to be pushing his pedals his whole life. Um, that's not what's happened, but, but he just wouldn't do it until he had the proper motivation. See, his little sister, Reagan, about four years younger, was starting to take an interest in riding a bike. Now the effort came. Yeah, I know, right? You, don't, you lose a lot of street cred if your little baby sister learns to ride a bike before you. Uh, so I think on a camping trip uh, with my parents, they actually both, uh, he, he, he learned how to ride his bike. My daughter shortly after rode his bike. And it's the lesson that until he learned how to ride his bike, he was never going to experience the fulfillment of what it means to ride a bike. Some of you are like, no, I hate riding a bike. But it is fun when you're a kid. Remember when we used to ride bikes, you know, before, I don't know, recent years? But until you and I push the pedals of our faith, we will never experience the life God has called us to. In James 2, 18, we read this, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So what's the difference between us and demons? I mean, they believe in the existence of God. They probably know it better than you do. So what difference is there? Well, see, it's not simply knowing about God. It's knowing God. It's one thing to believe the truth, and it's another to live in light of it. In our relationship with God, I think sometimes we approach God as if he's a frog to dissect rather than a mighty hand to hold. God loves you and what what's best for you. And when we truly know God, we know what matters to God. See, faith and works are not contradictory. They are complementary. Like peas and carrots. Like peanut butter and jelly. Like bacon and eggs. I'm getting hungry. You get to, I'm, uh, but you get the point. Uh, but Jesus actually gave us the perfect metaphor to describe this relationship between faith and works. In Matthew 7, 18, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So, in other words, strong roots 
produce healthy growth. Strong roots of faith. You know what you believe in. You know why you believe in it. More importantly, you know who you believe in. Jesus is Lord. He died for you and I. In light of that faith, we can't help but be alive and awake right here. Strong roots of faith produce the healthy growth of works. Now, it's easy to deny a faith that is indifferent and dead, but you can't deny a faith that's awake and alive. And now more than ever, friends, we need people of faith who are awake and alive. Do you agree? Makes me think of, you ever see those videos? You might see this online or on the news where uh, there's an attack and somebody has their phone camera out and they're recording it and they recorded the attack. And they posted it and said, look at this bad thing that happened. But what are you and I probably thinking about? Why didn't you put the phone down and, yeah, do something? Reminds me of, you know, let's say you have a kid. And your kid tells you about this event that happens at school that day, that, that there was this other kid at school that all the other kids were making fun of. And your child says to you, uh, this, this kid was getting made fun of, but I didn't join in the peer pressure, and so I didn't make fun of that kid. And you're proud. My kid didn't make fun of the kid like all the other kids did. And see, as Christians, we're content with that. But I would say God's calling us to a step further than that. God would say, stand up for that kid. You stand up for that kid. You don't just do no harm. You do what's right. Um, quite frankly, that's the problem with the Big C Church today. We're content to simply do no harm. Brothers and sisters, we're not called to just stand there. We're called to do something. God doesn't call us to do no harm. He calls us to do what right, do what's right. Where are the righteous? I'm looking at what's going on in this world today. That last song we sang so well, I, I, it bawled my eyes out, by the way. I've heard it all morning, and yet I couldn't help it. God is real. This is not playtime. God is real, and there are bad, terrible things that happen in this world. And if Christians do not speak up and stand up, who else will? Who's the conscience of this country, of this world? God has called you and I to a mission in this world. Where are the righteous? The world is full of wolves. And Christians act like a litter of kitty cats rather than a pride of lions. And you might agree or disagree. I'm going to tell you, here's what the scripture says. Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee, though no one pursues. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. And we don't have lions. Rapid City, we don't have enough lions in South Dakota or America or this world. And it has been weighing on my heart, watching what's happening. People trying to take stands alone without people joining them. People unsure on how to live their lives, decisions you, you have to make. In all sorts of situations, whether it's school, work, politics, community, whatever the case is, we need lions. And what God has called me to do is encourage and challenge you all, and myself, by the way, to be lions, not tame little kitty cats. <clears throat> the big lie is this, is that Christians should remain neutral, but guess what? There is no neutral. 
as my good friend and pastor says, you got to get off the fence. Are you indifferent about what God really cares about? Are you silent about things that really matter to God? You think silence is good. Dietrich Bonhoeffer would disagree. He said, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. What we need today are people of faith who are unashamed and unafraid. I love Jesus. I'm telling you right now, I love Jesus. I hope you love Jesus. And I'm not afraid about what that might mean. Now, here's the deal. It's time for us uh, to ask this question. Is fear keeping you from being true to God's call on your life? And if we won't have courage for everyday things, like helping out with kids in crisis or helping a neighbor who needs to be clothed or give them food, how are we going to have courage on big things? If you don't have daily courage, how are you going to have courage when it really matters? Where's your line? If you keep erasing your line and pulling it back, when are you going to have the courage? Friends, courage is an everyday act and habit. It's a muscle that must be built. You have to be courageous in the small things, faithful in the small things. Be faithful in the great things. And that begins with courage. It's not enough just to know what you stand for. You have to actually stand for it. You have to know when to stand your ground and when to seek common ground. So to display this, uh, James writing to the church, uh, this is a Jewish church, by the way, James is writing, and right now, this is often where this message would kind of lead, lead off. So do good works, because Jesus called you to. All right, yay, I'm saved to good works, that's good. And that would be where this message ends. But the rest of this passage, James gives two examples that I think you and I uh, need to pay close attention to. These are heavy-duty examples. I mean, we are, if you want to get deep, we're about to get deep because we're far from the shallow now. Now I have that song in my head. But, um, yeah. but these two examples are, uh, are very important, and we're going to learn some good stuff here. So first, uh, James uh, chapter 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. See, Abraham trusted that God is always good, even when it doesn't make sense. If you don't know the story of Abraham, he and his wife Isaac, they were 90 years old and 100 years old, and, and God spoke to him and said, uh, you're going to have a kid, which sounds weird. Uh, so they did. The child's name was Isaac, which means he laughs because it's kind of funny to them, like God gave us a kid. But Abraham also um, gave, uh, had a grandson that would be called Jacob, which would be the father of Israel. So the, the promise that God gave Abraham is that he would be a great nation, Israel, and that through that nation, the Redeemer would come to save the day. That Redeemer is Jesus. So this is a big-time promise, and God has clearly shown himself to Abraham. So God tests Abraham, and he tests his miracle. He says, I want you to sacrifice your miracle, your son Isaac, on the altar for me. It's a test. It may not make sense to you or I, but this is a test. Now, I don't know how I would be, but Abraham, he knew his call was to be faithful. And that meant sacrificing the miracle. So he's on the altar, knife in hand, ready to do the deed because God clearly told him to do it. And then an angel intervenes and stops it. And instead, God's, God's proven that Abraham's faithfulness uh, is strong. 
and that God's faithfulness to Abraham is strong. God will keep his promise. And Abraham completely trusted God. You talk about, you ever done the trust fall, you know, when you fall back? Um, I've done it on accident before, but if you fall back, somebody's supposed to catch you. Well, he knew God would never, never drop him. And Abraham's example for us is that the cost to follow Jesus is 100%. It is all in. He doesn't just want a slice of your life or your time or your money. He wants the whole thing. When people ask me how much they should give to the church, and it's easy to say, hey, 10% is a good place to start. I say, well, God wants 100%. The question is, how much of that should you give back? And how much of that should you steward in the rest of your life? Same thing with your time. How much of my time should I give to the Lord? All of it. It's all for God. Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Everything is worship. So the, the question is, is it, it's all or nothing with God. He doesn't ask for a percent. God doesn't share. And so uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who I mentioned earlier, has this great quote. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. The cost is everything. And that's what faithfulness is all about. The reward for Abraham was he was called a friend of God because he is faithful and true. James is challenging the church away from potential apathy and towards an active faith just like Abraham. And to be faithful, we have to be tried and true. This is the fruit of faith. So that's one example. God's calling us to faithfulness, and that is, that's deep because that means no matter what, you're sticking with God. I'm on God's side. I trust God. I'm a God person. I'm following Jesus wherever he may lead, whether I'm living the full life here or I leave a full life until I don't then we lead a fuller life later, which is great. But, but that's the kind of calling God is calling us to. Your calling, and I've wrestled with my calling in life about calling is deeper than a position. It's about purpose. Your, your job titles come and go, but your purpose always remains the same. And God's biggest calling to you is to be faithful. The second example he uh, gives us is from an unlikely hero, Rahab. And we see this. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. You see, Rahab was a Canaanite, a Gentile, a pagan prostitute. Now listen, if God can use her, God can certainly use you. You're thinking, he doesn't know what I've done, what I've seen, what I'm like. Yeah, he does. God saw Rahab, and he used Rahab to be an example for us. God can use you, despite no matter where you came from, whatever your backstory is, that's just your origin story. That's not the next chapter. But to understand Rahab's story, we have to understand a little bit about Joshua. You see, Joshua, after the death of Moses, he is chosen by God to lead God's people into the promised land. And he's given this charge in Joshua 1.9 from God. I think we have this up here. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And that's a promise. Joshua is called. He is banking his life on that promise. So that's in Joshua 1. When Joshua 3, he's talking to the people of Israel and he says this. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now, how many of you want to see God do amazing things among you? Raise your hand. At East as well. 
Only two people's hands raised here. You, sorry, um, I'm kidding. They all, they, a bunch of them raised their hand. You, we want to see God do amazing things among you. So in Joshua 1, we have the calling of Joshua. In Joshua 3, he is challenging the, his people to consecrate themselves because God's going to do amazing things. But what happens in Joshua 2 is pivotal for all that to take place. This is what God does. In Joshua 2, uh, we read this. Uh, this is from Rahab. Now, Rahab's going to play a pivotal role. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. That's verse 9. Then in the verse 11, it says, For the Lord your God, he is God in heavens on earth, heavens above and on earth beneath. So see, Rahab's faith was expressed through her courage. See, Joshua sent two spies into Jericho. And those two spies found themselves with Rahab the prostitute. Now, <laughs> I can read into this. Uh, that they found, they're like, we're staying at Rahab's place. Now, probably some sort of brothel. Maybe it was strategic because it was built on the side of uh, the wall of the city and easy to get in and out of, but who knows? I do think it probably made for some awkward conversation when they returned back and said, yeah, we were at this uh, prostitute's place and here's, here's what she told us. That's kind of crazy. Regardless, Scripture doesn't tell us why or how they were there, but we do know uh, that it was key and that God certainly did use this. And so Rahab's talking to the spies, and she says, uh, because of what has happened to you, I know what the Lord has given you the land. She said, because I've heard about what's happened to you, uh, I'm going to help you. See, Rahab immediately came to faith because of the reputation of God's people. She welcomed the spies and put her faith in the one true God. She had heard about the reputation of God's people. She heard about their escape from Egypt. She heard about the parting of the Red Sea. She heard about them surviving in the wilderness, their defeat of the Amorites. She says in Joshua 2, God must be on your side. So she gives the spies shelter and intel. And not only that, she gives them a game plan and keen insight. She says, the city is melting in fear because of you. Isn't that amazing? A whole city can crumble down because of fear. If that can happen to a city, what can happen to you? But God's calling you and I to courage. Immediately, uh, she acts and shows courage by hiding uh, the Israelite spies. And then she tells them, go out in the wilderness, hide there for three days, and then go on your way. Uh, because the king hears about them, sends his people to come and get them. She misleads uh, the Canaanites who came to look for the spies, which meant she put her and her whole family at risk. Her agreement with the spies was, when you come back to take over the city, spare me and my tribe, my people. And so this is a great risk. Do they trust her that she's not telling them, go in the wilderness and not immediately sending people out to kill them? Do they trust her that she's going to keep her word? Can she trust them that, that they're actually going to spare when they come and they, they, slot, they do a massive slaughtering uh, in Jericho? And we see, if you don't know the story, they march around Jericho seven times until those walls crumble down. That's an amazing thing. And that would begin their march into the promised land. Had she not put her life on the line, who knows what would happen to those she loved most? but faith calls us to be strong and courageous. Faith calls us to be fearless. This is the fruit of faith, and fearlessness is what Rahab had. 
See, Rahab, along with Abraham, is actually listed in the genealogy of Jesus. She would have a son named Boaz. By the way, great name, Boaz, strong. Um, she would be the great-great-grandmother of King David. And the savior of the universe would come through her family line because in a brief moment in time, she made a courageous decision. I don't know about you, but that's the challenge, to have that kind of fearlessness, to have that kind of courage. Would the reputation of God's work in your life speak to others? What's God doing in your life? The reputation of God's people spoke to Rahab, and she comes to faith, and she helps, and she puts it all on the line. So here's a question. This is a big question for today. Is your faith awake and alive, or is it indifferent and dead? Does, do the strong roots of faith produce the good fruit of works? I'm concerned that when I, when I pass away, whenever that is, someone could say, here lies Jason, he played it safe. He didn't take a stand. He didn't cause a scene. Here lies so-and-so, didn't take a stand, didn't cause a scene, played it safe. God never calls you to play it safe. Following Jesus is never safe. But as C.S. Lewis says in the Chronicles of Narnia, when he talks about Aslan, he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, right? He's the king. None of us are perfect, uh, but in Christ, we are different. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. When you, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, it's not that you're perfect. Some of you know me, you know I'm not perfect but I hope you think he's different. No, I'm different yeah, in some ways. But God does make us different because suddenly it's not about my will be done, but his will. It means I look at these, the scripture, this is the su supreme authority in my life. And I align everything to this. The scriptures can contradict my opinion. That's how I'm different. I have opinions and I read the scripture like, oh, that was wrong. Better do what God says. Can God speak through the scriptures to you and contradict your opinion? And will you live your life according to that? Not by what's popular, but what God says is true. And I don't know about you, but I'm betting my life on God. I'm betting my life on the truth. We live in a culture that lacks trust because we don't believe in truth. But truth is truth. There is a truth. There is a true north. And no matter what we want to say, that north is now south and east is now west. But God says, no, north is north, south is south, east is east, west is west. How do we know that? Well, the scriptures tell us. It's outlived us. It's outlived other generations. The word of God stands forever. And we're called to be faithful to what God is doing in us. When you become a believer, you have the spirit of God in you. And when you do, you bear fruit. We know there are fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's not a checklist. That's a byproduct of what God is doing in and through you. So do you trust in Jesus? Has the Spirit been evident in your life? And not just in helping those who need it, which is a good thing, but I'm talking, do you have courage? Will you be faithful? 
Will you be a lion that God is calling you to be? I, when we said that Proverbs 28, one verse said, the wicked flee though no one pursues. I mean, that's weak. Well, we don't have God on your side. You're running scared because eventually the thunder will roll and the lightning will strike. And God is always good. I want to be on his side. So I have confidence in the creator of all things and he works all things out for good. So we're called to be faithful like Abraham. We're called to plant our faith in uh, the rich soil of God. No matter what, 100%, we're all in. That's faithfulness. Faithfulness means 100%, all in. We're called to be fearless like Rahab. Courage may mean being scared, but doing it anyways. And again, having courage in the little things means you'll have what it takes to have courage in the big things. So friends, you're called to be faithful. You're called to be fearless. You're called to be free. That's how you know your faith is awake and alive, all because of what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray. Almighty God, uh, we come before you today, Lord, and we ask you uh, to bear good fruit in our lives. I pray that each one of my friends that are hearing this, uh, Lord, that you, would, that you would work within the soil of their lives and that their faith would be strengthened, their faith in you and what you said and who they are in you, that you love them and you want what's best for them. God, I pray that you would help them to be faithful, fearless, and free. I pray, God, that, that we would be obedient to your calling no matter what, that, God, that we will not be silent about things that should be silent on, but that we will have the courage and the bravery to stand, that we have the courage and bravery to help, that we have the courage and bravery to serve and have the courage and bravery to love. So, God, I pray that no matter what my friends are going through, big or small, that we will be faithful to you and be fearless along the way. We love you so much for the great gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you for your death on the cross for our sins. Thank you for your resurrection and hope of a new life from here on out. We love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, friends.